Hello again, everybody. John Porteous of the Lovells Township Historical Society here, and you're listening to the Backcast Podcast. Welcome back. Uh, Richard and I have a great guest for you this week. Uh, we're going to sit down with Cameron Mortensen of the Fiberglass Manifesto. And uh, Cameron is, uh, I'm going to, I think he calls himself a glass geek. I'll suggest that maybe he's a glass evangelist. Um, this guy's in the know. For 14 years, he's been running this site and uh, really built it up to become a power in the uh, in in the world of fiberglass rods. So uh, I think you're really going to enjoy this. Uh, Richard and I had a blast talking with him and uh, strongly encourage you to go out and check out his site. So here we go. Without further delay, on to the interview. Hey, good morning, Cameron, and welcome to the Backcast podcast. Good morning, fellas. How you doing? Doing great. Doing great. It's uh, sunny, another beautiful northern Michigan day. And uh, uh, for our listeners, um, uh, Cameron has uh, got a little bit of, you know, as we mentioned in the uh, intro, a little bit of uh, uh, experience here in the uh, in the North Country. So uh, rather than me droning on, Cameron, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit of, uh, about yourself, Um and uh, your experience in the area? Well, I grew up in lower Michigan, so around the Lansing area. And uh, admittedly, I didn't fish a lot growing up. Um, My dad, it wasn't something that he was into. I remember two times in my childhood that when we went camping, uh, we went fishing. uh, And it was, um, you know, like core memory, but it wasn't something that I did much. And then when I was in high school, I started working at a a Christian summer camp just outside of Grayling, Michigan. And I spent four summers there and a few winter camps as well. And there was guys that camped that fished. And so that first summer, I did a lot of spin fishing on the lake. I was interested in fly fishing, but, uh, you know, being a poor high school student, I really didn't have the money to go drop hundreds of dollars on the fly rod outfit. And I had a car up there, and so I would go into the different fly shops and and sport shops. And really, the uh, thing that kind of turned, you know, everything around was that one day I went into uh, Skips, which is on on the outside of of Grayling. Uh, one of the, is a sport shop up there, and I, actually I kept going in there, and I'd been there several times over the course of a couple weeks, and I kept looking at this. Eagle Claw Featherlight outfit. I think it was $60, and you've got the fly rod. There was a little Martin uh, tuna can reel on it and a level line, and I think the whole outfit was $60. And it, it was it was more money than I had in my pocket, but I guess I'd been in there enough times that the guy behind the counter was like, are you interested in that? And I was like, yes, sir, but, you know, I, I don't have all the money. He's like, well, he's like, where are you, where are you staying at? And I told him I was at at Campus Sable for the summer, and uh, he says, how about this? You take the outfit, and then you just pay it off over the summer. And uh, it was really gracious on his part, uh, but, you know, I ended up with that fly rod outfit, uh, got a couple leaders and uh, some foam spiders, and I spent the rest of that summer fishing on the camp lake, uh, learning how to cast, catching bluegills, every now and then a pike would come in and just slam the bluegill, and I'd be fighting <laughs> this pike that had half-eaten the bluegill until it would get up near the uh, boat and then, you know, um, 
release its grip. And so that was my summer of learning. And uh, the following summer, I had enough confidence in fly fishing that I started going across the street at the different landings, you know, on the holy waters. And from there, you know, investigated the South Branch. And then I started going over to the Manistee around Cameron Bridge. And <laughs> so the every summer after that was just more learning. Uh, <clears throat> the first trout I ever caught was at Burton's Landing. And I'll never forget this, like, eight-inch brown trout, like, came out of the water and, like, uh, took a, a Coachman Trude, uh, you know, just, like, slammed it. And that was the biggest fish I caught that summer because, you know, everything else was just little, little uh, small trout. Um, and I didn't know I was fishing at the wrong time. Like, I was coming off the water near dark, and there was a lot of people that were coming onto the water. I didn't understand hatches, didn't understand brown drakes, didn't understand hex or any of it. So... Uh, a lot of learning, and then through high school and into college, like any opportunity that I had, I would go up north. A lot of times I would just camp by myself, uh, fish for a couple days, and then head back to school. That's awesome. That's awesome. And that's it's, – it's such a – your story resonates because it, it's so similar to so many others, you know. It's just uh, – you, you, you catch it and you run with it, but the uh, – with um, with that regard, I think you you spent a little bit of time with uh, Mr. Smock in the garage, didn't you? I did, and you know, I was just thinking like, if I could, I wish I could go back and thank uh, the guy at Skips. Like, I don't remember his name. Um, I wish I could go back and thank him. I wish I could, you know, talk to Bob again because you know that was just like driving by, and I was like, you know, it had a little sign on his garage, and knocked on the door and went in there and just started spending you know, little bits of time here and there. Uh, and just all these different people, you know, Ray's fly shop was open then and Gates, you know, going down and seeing Rusty Gates and every single one of those persons like helped build the the fly fishing angler that I was becoming. And it would just be neat to circle back to all of those people and tell them thank you. And, and you know, we know that several of those people have, have passed away. So, uh, hopefully, you know, someday we can say thank you, but it's kind of neat to have, like, my beginnings as a fly angler in some place so uh, momentous as the Grayling Asable River area. Yeah. Well, you you mentioned that uh, you, you started with a, uh, a glass outfit, and, I mean, you're, you're a little unique in this regard, Cameron, in that um, – it's almost as if, uh, if not at the center, real close uh, in the world of fiberglass with the uh, with the fiberglass manifesto. Well, yeah, my first fly rod was the glass rod, and then everything I could read at that time. This is really pre-internet, um, so books at the library and magazines, you know, all talked about graphite fly rods. And so I went through a number of years where I didn't use the Eagle Claw Featherlight and uh, had a couple of different graphite rods that I used. Uh, and then my, I ended up getting married. My wife and I lived out in Colorado, and then we moved back to where she's from, which is in South Carolina. And uh, there's a family pond that's on our property that's about 50 acres, and it's got bass and bluegill and jackfish, which are pickerel, um, and uh, so I was like, well, this, you know, fiberglass fly rod will probably be perfect to mess around on the pond with. 
and took it out there. And I was just really blown away after, you know, probably five or six years of not fishing this rod at all, just how much fun this rod was to cast and to fish. Uh, and that got me onto the Internet, and I came across a forum uh, called Fiberglass Fly Rodders uh, that was just like a treasure trove of information about fiberglass fly rods, old clicker reels, uh, just super um, helpful membership there. Uh, I think I was the 276th member, and just checking it this morning, there's now over, there's almost 7,800 members. Oh, wow. uh, and so you can just see in the last probably 18 years how much growth and interest there's been in, in fiberglass fly rods. Uh, and so one of the components of that forum was that there was a chat room. And a couple of guys and I started like a Sunday night chat where, you know, starting about 8 p.m., I'd be in there. And then there was just some rankulars that that would always come in and chat. And there was uh, one guy from Wyoming. Uh, he's in law enforcement. I'm in law enforcement. And so we had some similarities there and uh, just a, a lot of interest uh, in fiberglass fly rods. And he was a rod builder. And so this was about the time that there was some of the online magazines that were coming out. And fiberglass fly rodders has historically been a lot about vintage fly rods, fly rods of the past, and not so much um, of, like, what's coming in the future and, like, highlighting different, like, current rod makers. And so Mike and I are talking back and forth uh, in the chat room, and he was like, you know, it would be really neat if we had something out there that we could start highlighting different rod makers, rod companies, blank makers, about like what's new in glass, like what's going on in contemporary glass. And um, I typed back like, what would we call it? And he immediately answered back the fiberglass manifesto. And I was like, huh, that's kind of neat. And it just kind of planted a seed. And, you know, I'm not super computer internet savvy and neither is Mike and both of us pretty busy. And I think three or four months went by and, um, I asked him one night, I was like, you know, would you mind if I tried to do something with the fiberglass manifesto? And I was like, yeah, sure, go ahead. And I uh, did a, a internet search on how to start a blog and blogger popped up and, and then <laughs> just started building out just a very rudimentary website uh, that honestly, 14 years later, I'm still using the same template. It's called Simple and <laughs> kind of built it around that and just started writing stuff. And it was every oh, a few days or a couple of weeks, and and I didn't even know for the first year or year and a half if anybody was reading it. I didn't have any uh, way at that point to figure out analytics, and so I just kept putting stuff up there and putting stuff up there and having fun with it, getting emails and people asking questions. Uh, and then uh, one of the years, it was a couple of years after I'd started writing it, uh, Scott Flyrods came out with a new glass two-hander called the uh, Fiber Hammer. And, um, and it was released at IFTD, which is the, the fly fishing trade show. And I wasn't there, but all of a sudden get all these emails and people asking, what do you know about this? What do you know about this? I didn't know anything about it. And so that was kind of a, a lightning moment for me that people were asking me what I knew about this fiberglass fly rod, which I didn't know anything about, and then I figured that I needed to kind of put my detective skills that I use at work into meeting all the different rod builders, making contact at all the different rod companies. And so they knew that I was, you know, working to be the resource on all things fiberglass. 
and develop that confidence in them because there was people that were reading the website that had confidence in me that I should know those things. So I think the next year I went to IFTD and I'd been there, went for the next several years and kind of the full circle moment was two years later, Scott came out with their next generation of fiber touch uh, fly rods, which is kind of their trout weight glass rods. And they asked if I could do the media release for them on TFM. So I don't know if, if Jim knows it, but you know, for me, that was kind of a big deal for the fiber hammer being that thing that like kicked me off on, I need to, you know, be in the know and like follow up on rumors and put myself out there as wanting the knowledge and for them to, you know, tap TFM to make that announcement of the new uh, fly rod series. So, and since then it's been neat. I've been able to work with a lot of different companies uh, and different rod builders and blank makers uh, and have a lot of different conversations about what people are looking for in glass. Uh, And it's, you know, one of the things I did this week is cleaned up the fly rod, um, fiberglass fly rod makers page on TFM, which when I started TFM, there was less than a dozen rod builders, rod makers, um, or rod companies or blank makers that were doing anything with glass. Fast forward 14 years, and there's over 100 different builders, blank makers, and rod companies that are listed on that page. So kind of neat to see a resurgence and kind of neat to be a part of of that information gathering and, you know, help kind of – stir the pot of what's going on in in the realm of fiberglass fly rods. Well, and for sure, there's just a a boatload of stuff happening, and, you know, as evidenced by the content on your site. But um, I guess the natural follow-up is, uh, so what is new? What's what's the next big thing? What what will our listeners uh, be looking for? Well, and one of the first questions I get from people is, why do I want to fish glass? And, you know, I still remember, like, very early on fishing glass. Like, I would show up in a parking lot up in North Carolina, and guys would kind of look at me like, is that a glass rod? And they'd kind of be smirking, like, you know, maybe I, you know, borrowed my grandfather's uh, fiberglass fly rod. Um, And then it wasn't too many years where, like, some of those same people were like, hey, I'm getting, I want to get a new four weight. What should I be looking for in glass? Um, because they're, you know, starting to understand, like, glass rods are going to be slower. Glass rods are going to flex more. Glass rods are going to feel the fish more. Uh, they're great for protecting light tippets. So if you're fighting, you know, trout on a 6 or 7X, they're helpful. But they can also be very helpful if you're fighting, you know, um, like I do a lot of flats fishing, carp, redfish, uh, you know, bonefish, trying to catch a permit. Uh, they can be helpful in that regard, too. You can really put a lot of leverage on a fish because that whole rod is acting as a shock absorber, and you have a lot less chance of of breaking tippets. And then, you know, really overall, they're just super, super fun to fish. Like when you can feel, you know, a fish head shake uh, all the way down into the cork of the rod, uh, you just get so much more feedback on a glass rod than I've found that you do in, in graphite. Uh, And so really, uh, you know, years ago, it seemed like everybody was making a seven foot three weight, a seven and a half foot four weight, and an eight foot five weight. And so you had builders that were kind of doing the same things, building on the same blanks, and really the aesthetics or how the rod was built was really just the the differences between different builders. Uh, Fast forward to now, you've got rod builders that are into, that are just like small stream technicians. And so they're 
um, focuses on, you know, two, three, four, and five weights. And so they're in a, in a little kiddie pool with a few other builders. And then you've got other builders that are into more of the heavy line weight class. So everything from six weight all the way up to 12, 14, 16 weights that guys are using for sharks, for jungle fishing, for tarpon. Uh, and so you, instead of everybody doing the same thing, now you've got all these different rod builders, rod companies uh, that are creating uh, really niches within a niche of fiberglass. Uh, and so that's really exciting because um, effectively I haven't fished a graphite rod in probably 16 or 17 years. And I've got fiberglass fly rods from a two-weight all the way up to um, two-handers. And so there's really nothing that uh, I, I or others, you know, fish for that you can't do on glass. Uh, right. And so it's neat to be, uh, you know, going back to the what's coming and what's out there is that, you know, some companies, they want to really keep their, their glass rods in that, that trout weight area. Uh, and then you've got other companies like what's next. So like jungle rods are a big deal. And the benefit of glass in, in jungle rods or tarpon rods is that they're a stronger material and they have less of a chance of breaking. Uh, and so there's a story from years ago that uh, these guys, a film crew was going down to South America to fish for uh, jungle tarpon. And they took six fly rods with them, all uh, 10 and 12 weights. And the only rod that came back unbroken was the one that had fiberglass that was rolled into the butt section of the graphite rod because that rod just is, you know, a lot more indestructible than just straight graphite rods. So there's a lot of anglers that are finding benefits to the glass rods. And so companies are starting to look at what's out there, what can we build that's new. Um, you know, it's there's still a lot of room for companies to come out with two-handers in glass and switch rods. Uh, and you're seeing a lot, of, a lot more heavier line weight glass. And then you're just seeing companies go back to the drawing board and build upon what they've already done. So Orvis is in their second generation of glass. Reddington's in their third generation of glass. Echo Fly Fishing is in their, oh, second and third generation of glass, depending what it is, between their heavier line weight rods and their trout weight rods. So it's like the door is blown wide open, and there's just all these things out there that are really fun to help people find. Are, are you seeing, I guess, more adoption of glass in the Euronymphing area? You know, Euronymphing is tough with glass just for the fact that a lot of those rods are 10 feet long or longer. And the benefit to glass or the, the I think some of the very best glass is going to be shorter fly rods. So, um, okay. you know, like 7-foot, 5-weight up to 8-foot is, is the norm. Um, when you start getting into rods that are past 8.5-foot, um, they start to have more of a swing weight. They're going to feel thippier, they're going to feel heavier, and they're going to, a lot of times they feel slower. Um, and so I wouldn't say from a, a check nymphing standpoint that there's much out there that uh, that would be applicable to that kind of fishing. There's some people that make it work. You know, they'll find, you know, a, a longer three weight or four weight that they, you know, are able to employ some of the some of the techniques into, but I think if you're really serious about check nymphing, you're probably going to stick to graphite because it's a lighter material and you can create a longer fly rod without having that swing weight. Okay. Well, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. The, um, 
it's just it's it's exciting to to kind of see this resurgence and you know to your point it, i i had no idea uh there were that many people out there making glass right now um that's incredible we've uh we've spoken a you know at length with some guys uh you know mark McCallop, uh who's uh you know all about the old uh head and glass stuff uh but it's it's interesting to get the new input and uh and see kind of the moderate modernization of the material and you know what that does is that you know there is some you know glass fiberglass flower rods are made in just a couple different kinds of of glass fiber so you've got e glass which is going to be lower modulus typically those are going to be a more full flexing and a slower in taper fly rod so you know if you kind of think back to like the the lama glass like the honey you know yellow blanks um and more of that feel and then now there's uh, uh s glass which is going to be a higher modulus the lighter material and so companies like orvis uh epic uh cts um are using that material to roll their blanks and so those tapers are typically more progressive they're going to have faster tip recovery they're going to feel lighter you know they're going to, the the rods can be built with thinner walls uh and so you know for somebody that's making that transition from graphite to glass uh those more progressive tapers can be you know really helpful uh because they're really fun to cast and they um are very responsive and they handle a lot of modern fly lines really well too. And so I would I would say now, you know, having 110 companies that I'm familiar with as far as rod builders and plant makers and rod companies, when somebody emails me and says, "Hey, I'm looking for, you know, an eight weight in glass." Well, there's six or eight or 10 different options I can give them where before, you know, years ago it might have been one option or two options. So uh, and, you know, that's across all kinds of different price points. Like this morning, I answered several emails. Somebody was looking for a three-weight, and they didn't want to spend more than $300. Somebody else was looking for a four-weight, and the top end, you know, of their budget was $500. And then you get somebody that's looking for their first experience in class, and the Eagle Claw Featherlight is that they can probably find at their Walmart for $25 is, you know, a great option for them to just get that first experience about, what glass feels like and am I going to like this? So it's a low investment uh, to build off of. Hey, Richard, who is the uh, gentleman? Um, is it Vic Johnson that did the uh, profiling on oh, Fenwick? Victor Johnson. He's written a lot of books yep. on a very, uh, fly rod manufacturing. Yeah. From, uh, you know, when it started, he did a lot in there about craft, or, uh, fiberglass rods, yeah. yeah. I think, I think yep. he had eight, so, eight book on Fenwick, didn't he? He did a book on Fenwick. He's done um, several books, um, oh, kind of updated his fiberglass um, fly rods book. I was actually asked to write the foreword for, I think, the second one that he did. Uh, and then he had a third edition that came out that included a lot of the international builders as well. Um, and so those are a great, great resource, you know, um, sometimes I'm asked, like, how can I learn more about glass? Uh, the Vic Johnson uh, books are a great resource. Uh, Fiberglass Fly Rodders Forum is just still a really welcoming forum with literally almost 7,800 members where there's activity going on on that page every day. 
uh, and a lot of questions, and there's a good search function that you can use there. Uh, there's a wiki pages that's attached to that, and then uh, the Fiberglass Manifesto. You know, I've tried to keep up with all the the latest builders, the latest blank offerings, the different companies, and and what they're doing. And so there's a lot of different ways, and your local fly shop. You know, years ago um, there wasn't too many shops that had fiberglass. You know, uh, that you could go out and cast. And fast forward to now. There's some shops that have really embraced it, and then there's some shops that, you know, it's, it's something that they carry or that they can get, you know, through their the different companies that they sell. Right. Well, I got a, <clears throat> excuse me, I got a McFarlane I bought from Mike a few years ago when he was here at one of uh, Martin McKillop's sways, and that is an exceptional rod. I mean, a lot of these fiberglass rods, you know, I make bamboo rods, but a lot of these fiberglass rods are just really, really nice. They're, they're they are nice, and I, I I would trust anything that comes out of Mike McFarland's shop. I mean, he was when I talk about there was only a handful of people that were doing it. Mark Stephan and, and Mike McFarland were the two like premier blank makers then, and and fast forward to now, um, Mark Stephan and his brother retired, but all of their materials, mandrels, and and rod building or blank making uh, materials and tools all went to Shane Gray down at Gray Wolf Rods down in uh, lower Michigan. And so those blanks are continuing to be made. And Mike is, is, has always been doing great work, but just seems to be continuing to come up with new ideas. And, and in the background, he builds a lot or makes a lot of blanks for other builders as well. Well, and let's, let's, kind of dive down there just for a second when when we talk about blanks and and actually producing the blanks are there a number of people doing that or is that kind of limited to a small group and those blanks are are made to a spec and then matriculate through the system that way so there's a handful of blank makers here in the US and that number keeps growing um, sometimes it's tough for blank makers to that do graphite and want to do glass to do that just because they have to meticulously clean unless they have separate areas where they do glass and graphite because it's really easy for those uh, for that graphite dust to get rolled into the kind of translucent fiber of a lot of the glass that's out there um, and so you'll see in some oh typically um, out of country blanks that are made in Asia that you'll see like speckles and blanks, and that's because right. tables are being being used to do both. But in the U.S., there's really just a handful of companies that are making touch. glass. <laughs> that, that's What's not that? aesthetic touch. Yeah, that's 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 just a yeah. cross-contamination. It's cross-contamination, but um, it's it's pretty typical though for this handful of blank makers to do work with multiple different rod. Uh, builders and so you know there's some builders that just want whatever that company you know like let's use Mike McFarlane as an example he makes blanks that he sells to hobby builders to rod makers and then what he builds himself Uh, but then Mike works with a lot of different small shop custom rod builders that will come to him and say I would like to build hypothetically a longer three weight for you know out west fishing spring creeks the driftless area, maybe some of the waters in, in Michigan or whatever, you know, their place is, 
And so Mike will work with them on developing uh, tapers that are just specific to that rod builder. Uh, and, you know, he probably has a dozen to two dozen different builders that he does that for. Um, CTS in New Zealand does that. Um, I'm trying to think of some others that, that typically do that. Uh, but then you've had some guys like Mike McFarland, or excuse me, uh, Mark Steffen, that just always built his blanks, didn't care to build anyone else's um, designs, and kept himself busy enough rolling, you know, enough blanks, you know, of his design that, you know, he didn't need to do OEM work for, you know, other rod builders. Uh, so it's pretty neat to see, you know, some of these um, – it's neat to see rod builders go from building off of other people's blanks to really deep diving into like what resonates with them and then they develop a following. I think of uh, Shane Gray down in lower Michigan. He has his own rod that he does, different series that he's done over the years. Now he offers Stephen Blank. I think of Chris McFarlane that, you know, is really a small stream blue lines technician. And so a lot of his designs, you know, really favor that. Uh, and so it's neat that there are blank makers out there that are willing to, you know, use some of their table time and oven time to, like, work through these, you know, very, like, specific rods that these rod builders are trying to create. Nice. Very nice. It just, I mean, it, it seems almost analogous to um, bourbon in some regards where you'll have um, various white label programs running out of a, you know, central shop and people will be, you know, whether it's specifying the the length and the the taper or uh, the ma you know the mash build or whatever to end up with their unique offering. It's pretty cool. <laughs> pretty very cool. I think that's a good comparison because there's probably then also some things that are private labeled that are just not that special. And there's some of that in glass too, where there's different companies and different rod um, shops that are are. Um, not really doing the design work themselves, not really, you know, they're just kind of passing on, hey, I'm looking for a, an eight-foot, eight five-weight, and, you know, the company will say, well, here's your options, and they pick one of them. And, and you know, so from somebody coming into it that's, like, looking for something special, um, it pays to do some research on the different rod builders and ask questions, like, what's the story of this rod? You know, some of the rod builders are really good about having full descriptions on their website they're really good about using, you know, really high-end photography so that you can really see what you're getting. Um, and I think that's what connects people to a lot of different rod builders is they like that story. You know, I've already mentioned Shane and Chris, but both of those guys were doing rod building as a hobby that turned into a full-time career for both of them. Uh, and it's just because they ended up being really good about telling their story of who they are, what they made, and their work speaks for itself. Um, and then you've got guys like Matt Lederman, who's a school teacher, and he builds a few rods through the school year, but then his summertime is when he really deep dives into, you know, knocking out a lot of orders, and, you know, his builds are second to none. So um, it's neat to see, you know, how different people connect to different rod builders, and, you know, I've got way too many fly rods, but uh, it's been neat to collect different fly rods from different makers, kind of like I'm collecting art, and it's it's sure. neat because it's fishable art and things that I can get out on the water with. Well, and I think that's the key right there. Even though you're in collecting mode, you're, you're collecting usable 
you know, it's not like you're sh shoving them in a closet somewhere never to see air again, um, you know, until uh, until sale. You're out, you're out and able to uh, use these and, and enjoy them. For sure. I mean, it's fun, you know, planning for a trip and kind of going through my little stash of fly rods in the corner and figuring out, like, what's going to go on this trip. And, uh, yeah, it's been... When I first started TFM, I wanted to collect at least one rod from every rod builder because there really wasn't that many at that time. And now, I mean, there's no no way. And I still think <laughs> I have like a lottery. I, I think I have like <laughs> yes, I think I have three or four dozen rods right now, and and it's hard to fish them all. <laughs> yeah, you know, we were talking to Tom last week, and uh, he said he's got one coming out in the spring. I think. He, he does, and and he sent me the demo that he has on that, and that's going to be a really really neat rod. And you know, Tom spends a lot of time on spring creeks out there in Montana, and it's just a perfect tool for that. And you know, I think it would come in handy elsewhere as well. But uh, and that's really a neat example of somebody that makes he produces um, and sells fly rod lines, but yet he's able to like design something that's specific to what he does and knows that that's going to resonate and you know connect with other people out there that that buy his fly lines already and they're going to trust you know that fly rod that's rolled in in montana at livingston rod company's shop and you know it's just a neat connection because there's people that will email me a lot and say you know i live in montana or i live in michigan you know i'd love to like support a rod company that's like from my geographical area uh because he knows, you know, he or she knows that those rods were likely, you know, tested and demoed on the same waters that they fish, and so there's that immediate connection. You bet, absolutely, yeah. Well, it's, you know, just just as uh, you're saying, you, there's definitely specific tapers that work better on specific waters, and having that knowledge, uh, you know, between the. <laughs> The, the requester, if you will, and the and the vendor uh, can really yield a, a great result. Yeah. What um, I, I guess what what's what's next uh, as as the fly as the fiberglass manifesto evolves? What's next? Well, I never would have thought that I've been doing the website for 14 years, but that's where we're at right now. I think September is like my birthday, but then also the birthday of the website. Um, some listeners may know this or may not, but my full-time works in law enforcement, and so that takes a lot of time. We've got two teenagers. Uh, we stay pretty busy as a family, but, you know, I've really valued, uh, you know, starting my day every morning with a few emails, writing content for TFM over a cup of coffee or two or three. Um, but it's also given me a circle of friends that are outside of uh, the work that I do. And that's, if there's nothing else that TFM did for me personally, having friends in the industry and different people that I've met that I've gone fishing with and different guides, and different trip on opportunities um, that made it all worthwhile. I can't imagine not having TFM um, and where I would be as a person because I don't think I would feel as fulfilled as I would um, having this website to always kind of keep me inspired. It's been a great creative, creative outlet. As a kid, I did a lot of artwork, drawing and painting, um, and that kind of transitioned to 
um, writing, which I don't profess to be great at, and photography, um, which I'm probably not great at as well, but I have a good time, you know, hacking away at it. Um, as far as the future, uh, you would think that I would like have reached the end of the rope with this, um, and I really thought that at some point I would just tell all the stories and talk about all the rod builders that are out there, but it was kind of good timing for it to start because it was just at the beginning of this big kind of wave that continues to crest with interesting glass and new glass out there and new ideas and new materials and new ways to do things. So um, honestly, I'm going to keep, you know, hacking away at it and writing and, and uh, doing my research and following up on leads as long as there's interest in, in the in people fishing glass in fly rod companies and, and small shop rod builders and making glass. And, um, you know, I, it's, it's my preferred way to fish. I mean, I haven't fished a, a graphite rod in, in a decade and a half at least. Um, because as soon as I started getting into glass, I started selling off the few, um, graphite rods that I had to fund more, um, glass rods. Sure. And so, so I'm going to keep fishing it. And I think a lot of other people are going to keep fishing it. And it's been neat to see the industry. Um, this hasn't just stayed as a, as a small shop idea. Um, all your major fly rod companies have at least one glass rod in their lineup. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you, all the mainstreams are, are out there with, with a glass offering now. I'm just, it was funny before we, we started the podcast and I was thinking to myself, when your retirement does come, you've got to have just the foundation for one of the best road trips ever. <laughs> I think you know, well, I have, I have thought of that. For connections. <laughs> I've, I've thought about it. it would be neat to kind of live, um, kind of bounce around to different fly shops and just be a seasonal employee um, and spend a year, you know, bouncing around to some of my favorite fly shops and just, you know, just just seeing what that's like. And I've also thought there's a lot of opportunities to tell different rod maker stories. Um, there's... Uh, you know, sometimes rod builders are good at taking pictures and, you know, posting pictures of their builds and everything, but, um, like, learning more about them as a person and where they work and what the shop looks like and what a typical day is, I think those stories would be neat to tell. Well, and I think I, I think you can bring a lot to the table. I think it's it's clear for listeners that haven't been to your site, uh, it's, it's quite polished, and uh, you've done a great job of building a brand there. And, you know... Uh, creating and, and enhancing, I guess not creating, but enhancing the enthusiasm around in, in the glass world. So congratulations. Well, it's been fun. And I, you know, started this thing called Glass is Not Dead years ago before hashtags were a thing and it really didn't gain traction until I started using it on Instagram. And I think at last check, there's like 78,000 photographs with <laughs> that tag to it. And so it's really neat to see um, to share my experiences with glass, but then to see, I mean, literally all over the world, um, anglers are, are fishing glass, and uh, it's, you know, it's not just for trout, it's not just for not just for bass, I mean, people are catching wild, wild species, you know, on the fly, or conventional, you know, spinning rods and uh, on glass, and it's just neat to see their stories as well. 
That's awesome. Well, I, I, I can't help but believe, Cameron, that uh, you'll be a guest again on the show and have some more stories to share with us. But uh, we're super happy uh, that you're able to join us today. And, uh, again, congratulations on the work you've done. And, uh, um, you know, let's um, kind of follow up maybe on the next time you're up north and uh, and touch base that way. Yeah, it would be great. And if any of your listeners have questions about glass, want, you know, recommendations for their next um, fiberglass fly rod, um, always reachable through Instagram or email or, um, you know, Facebook or Twitter, um, but probably Instagram or just a, an email is probably the best because then it's something that I check in on uh, more regularly. But love to help people hash out their next fly rod purchase. And there's so many options out there that, I can typically ask, you know, like what um, what fly um, or what line weight, what length, um, what type of taper, like what are you going to do with it and what's your budget and when do you need it. If I have those five questions answered, I can help narrow down, like here's a handful of rods that you should look at, you know, for your next purchase. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, we'll put all those links in the show notes so that the listeners can click on them and um, – We'll have at it from there until uh, until the next time we speak, Cameron. Um, tight lines and mind your back cast. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you. All right. Another good one in the books. Um, thank you very much for listening. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for liking. Um, we've, we've, we've really enjoyed this and uh, are really enjoying the feedback as well. A couple of local notes if you're in uh, our Lovells area. On September the 10th, we from 11 a.m. until 3 p.m., we'll be uh, uh, hosting an art show. Uh, we've got some uh, residents that have uh, donated some uh, handcrafted pottery, uh, hand-woven goods, uh, wood carvings, uh, paintings, uh, framed artwork, uh, just a lot of really, really nice items. Uh, this is the mechanism that we use to fund our scholarships. Uh, we put a, a couple of scholarships out each year uh, to uh, the local kids, and this is how we fund it. So uh, if you're in the area, stop by. We'd love to see you. Make yourself known. Okay, that's it. Until next week, mind your back, cast. <laughs>